Nevada even has statutes that penalize uh, abuse of show dogs under NRS section 574.107, which makes it a category D felony up to four years in state prison for tampering or interfering with a show dog. Abusing a show dog is a category D felony that carries up to four years in state prison. And if you're convicted for killing a show dog, you're looking at a category C felony with a penalty of up to five years in the state prison. and everything out so you don't have no problems you get yourself a w-2 at the end of the year you want that trust me <laughs> don't be like me in the past where i learned from that mistake okay now you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary what is a reasonable salary well if you look up on the irs rules they have certain they have certain rules around what a reasonable salary is it can be based upon expertise how much money the business generates um uh the the economy, where you're low, it's a lot of things that are involved in this, okay? When it comes to reasonable salary. That's why you want to talk to a, um, a legal or a, a financial professional to be able to discuss what a reasonable salary is based off your business. I'm just giving you an example here. Now, the example I'm going to give you is, I'm going to say out of this $100,000 in net, I only want, I want 50% of that to, to be paid out as a reasonable salary to me. So I'm going to take a salary of 50,000 and I'm going to have the other 50,000 being paid out as a distribution to me. The distribution is still going to come to me. I just want it to be done differently. And I'll, I'll talk about why. The reason why is because on your reasonable salary of $50,000, you have to pay self-employment tax on that reasonable salary, okay? So, now that I'm only taking a salary of 50,000, my self-employment tax, that 15.3%, instead of it being $15,300 that I'm paying on the whole, on the entire 100K, I'm now only paying $7,650 in self-employment tax because my salary is only $50,000. You get it? 50,000, 15.3%, $7,650 in self-employment tax instead of 15,300 because the entire 100 grand, I'm breaking it up into reasonable salary. Now, what happens to that other $50,000 in net? I'm paying it to me as a distribution. That's one of the advantages of having an S-Corp. You can pay a distribution to yourself. That distribution that you pay to yourself, there is no self-employment tax on the distribution. So now that there's no self-employment tax on the, 50, on the distribution, I'm getting the 50,000 bypassing that 15.3% in tax. I still have to pay, of course, the federal, the state, local, and et cetera taxes on that 50,000. I'm bypassing that 15.3% though that becomes expensive to me over time as I start to make more money. So now, no, uh, no self-employment tax on that other 50,000, zero dollars in SC tax. So now I only had to pay $7,650 because I distributed it out. 
Now, I know what you're probably saying to yourself. Well, Don, why don't I, if I can bypass the self-employment tax of the 15.3%, why don't I just pay out my entire amount as a distribution? I know you're probably thinking that as an entrepreneur because, look, I would think the same thing. Hmm, 15.3%, I've paid out as the distribution. Trust and believe me, the IRS keeps a very close eye on that. And that's why they say reasonable salary. Because if you start paying, if you try to abuse this rule, and out of this 100000 you say, you know what, I'm only going to take a reasonable salary of $10,000 of $10, or 10% of this, and the other 90% is going to be a distribution, I can guarantee you're going to get flagged. Almost guarantee it. You don't abuse this here, right? So I say 50-50. There's others online that say 60-40. Right. Some people, it depends. Talk to your talk to a professional. Right. But you want to make sure that it's a reasonable salary. I'm going 50 50. I'm being modest here. OK, don't abuse this rule. They put this in place for a reason because they know people are going to try to bypass and pay out an entire distribution of themselves to bypass the 15.3 percent in tax. Right. So. That's the reason why, as an entrepreneur, don't try to get, don't try to do any funny business here, right? 50, 50% goes reasonable, the other 50% goes distribution, cool, I'm able to bypass. Now, if we talk about it from a savings perspective now, remember, between my $15,300 that I'm paying in self-employment tax on this entire 100K, plus that 25% that I'm paying in federal and state taxes, I'm paying about $36,000 over here as an LLC that's taxed as a, as a sole prop. But now, since I'm an S-Corp, I'm only paying $7,650 in self-employment tax, and I'm bypassing the self-employment on that other $50,000. And I still got to pay my federal and state taxes, right, which is still going to be $20,000 over here. Same thing. But the difference is now, instead of me paying $36,000, I'm actually paying about $28,000 in taxes on this side. So now that I'm only paying $28,000 on this side, and I'm going to write this down. Now that I'm only paying $28,000 on this side, instead of actually paying $36,000 on this What's central in a prosecution for gaming fraud is intent. So, for example, if somebody was just intoxicated and sloppy and didn't realize the cards had been dealt or didn't realize that uh, they had moved chips uh, to a position on the table that constituted a wager, it would be a defense if there was no intent to defraud the house. So, what's really important is we have to obtain the videos that show the activity of the player. And it's central to the prosecution's ability to, to uh, successfully prosecute these cases, to have the video so they can prove that the person uh, wasn't merely making a mistake as opposed to committing a crime while gaming. With regard to defenses to animal cruelty charges, of course, there's always the defense of insufficient evidence because the state has to prove the charges against you beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, you also can claim defense of self-defense. If you're being attacked by an animal, 
you have absolutely the right to defend yourself. So if you were attacked by a vicious dog and you had to kill the dog to defend yourself, you would have a valid self-defense claim. Another facet of self-defense would be defense of others. So that if your animal was being attacked by another animal, you would have the right to use deadly force to kill that animal if necessary to prevent your animal from being killed by a vicious dog. Finally, uh, intent would come into play in some types of animal cruelty related charges, such as dog fighting. Let's just say you sold the dog and you had no intent that that dog would be used for animal fighting, but it was of a specific breed that had a violent nature and ultimately the person who purchased your animal used it for dog fighting. If you did not intend the animal to be used for that purpose, you could not be convicted of selling an animal for the purpose of fighting. In Las Vegas, if you were charged for the first time with an act of solicitation, we can almost always get those charges dismissed. Now, you may have to intend some type of class uh, for sexual awareness, but if you complete the class, the charges against you would be dismissed. I'm attorney Michael Becker with Las Vegas Criminal Defense. If you've been charged with a criminal offense in the state of Nevada, let's sit down, hear your side of the story, and see what we can do to get your charges reduced or dismissed. Christine is going to start off this hour in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Christine. How are you? Hi, how are you today, Dave? Better than I deserve. What's up in your world? Um, I'm calling because um, about two years ago we decided to get on your plan. And um, in the beginning, we weren't very confident in ourselves, me and my husband. So we had uh, my mother-in-law helping us out with it, and we had decided to open up an account in her name, and all of our income would be deposited into this account, um, but she would help us with, you know, getting on the plan and budgeting and stuff like that. Well, we moved uh, from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, and we've made the decision to buy a house. But the problem is, is when we're trying to get a mortgage and get the ones like Churchill offers, they um, they will not accept the income from the previous two years because it wasn't out of our bank account. So we're wondering another way we can prove to the banks that we do make the income and we can afford a mortgage and how to get a mortgage. Tax returns. Two years of your, two we, years of your tax return should do it. Just give them the tax return, but don't they want to see us paying bills on time? Yeah, they'd like to see you having paid your landlord on time, uh, early or on time, and you could provide a lease that proves that the lease was in your name. Um, I don't know if this is going to work because you've not been operating as if you have a life. Yeah. 
um, and uh, and I'm, I hope you've made the transfer to where you're now managing yeah. your own money. Of course, yeah. this yeah, was a really bad here. idea. Okay, yeah. for a lot of reasons, but this is part of the problem with it, you know. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you may, it may be two years, but you may have to establish a, uh, a, a landlord payments record out of a checking account that you own for two years. That may have, that may happen. But you can, pro- you can prove your over. income with your tax returns. Yes. But we can't prove the payments that we we're making to our landlord out of her account. Or anything else for that matter. Exactly. Any other non-traditional credit, for instance, cable company and everything else, because it was all out of her account. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you'll be able to pull that off. Churchill can walk you through it and tell you, but um, I, my guess is is that this has delayed you buying a home uh, on a mortgage anyway, uh, which might not be all bad. You just save up a little more for a down payment and rent something inexpensively. The good news is you got you, you've stopped the mess and it's now in your name and so and you and you can control your your money and your future from this point forward. NRS section 193.165 is an enhancement for use of a deadly weapon during the commission of a felony and it provides for a penalty of up to 20 years if you use a deadly weapon when committing a crime in the state of Nevada. There are some limitations. Uh, It is a consecutive enhancement, which the court must impose. And if you are convicted of this enhancement, the court cannot place you on probation, but the court cannot sentence you for more on the enhancement than the amount of time you receive for the underlying offense. So, for example, if the enhancement provides for up to 20 years and you're convicted of an underlying offense and you receive five years, the most you could get on the consecutive enhancement is an additional five years in state prison. There are a variety of circumstances that the court will consider in how much time to give you for a deadly weapon enhancement, including the circumstances of the underlying crime, your criminal history, the impact that the use of the deadly weapon had on the alleged victim in your case, uh, and any other mitigating factors which the court might reasonably take into consideration in determining an appropriate sentence. What's commonly referred to as rape elsewhere is legally called sexual assault here in the state of Nevada, and it requires sexual penetration, however slight. It does not necessarily have to involve intercourse. It's without the consent of the party or under circumstances in which you reasonably should have known that the person was incapable of consenting. A common example of that would be someone is passed out, drunk, or on drugs, so they're not able to understand what's taking place. Ultimately, the issue of what constitutes penetration is up to a jury to decide. The instruction itself says that any penetration, however slight, is sufficient. 
but we're often actually debating a trial whether a penetration occurred, if it was touching on the outer lips, for example, of the vagina, or if there was a licking, how far, literally, how far in did the tongue go? And these are questions for juries to decide as to whether or not there's actual penetration. If a prosecutor here in Nevada believes that someone tried to sexually assault someone, but there was not penetration, then they could be charged with the crime of attempt sexual assault, which carries slightly less penalties of 2 to 20, as opposed to a possibility of 10 to life if you're convicted for sexual assault. If there's substantial bodily injury, it's life with parole after 25 years or life with no parole at all. Also, for any sexual assault crime, if you are convicted, there will be lifetime sex offender registration. We find that a lot of innocent people get wrongly accused of rape. And this happens really for a number of reasons. First of all, there's a lot of false accusations. A lot of times the accuser will, will make accusations out of anger or jealousy or spite. We've seen situations where a guy was dating a young lady and uh, she wanted to take the relationship further and she wanted to be exclusive and he didn't want to do that and, and wasn't giving her the attention she was seeking. And she felt insulted and she felt hurt and made false accusations out of spite to get him in trouble. And situations like that are actually very common. We also find a lot of times the accuser will make a false accusation of rape uh, in order to get attention. A lot of times the accuser has mental health issues. The accuser is a, a narcissist. Uh, and the accuser likes the idea that they're so desirable that other people are desperate to have sex with them and uh, desperate enough to commit rape. And so they imagine things and they make false accusations to try to create this reality as part of their mental pathology. We see this very commonly. Also, a lot of accusations of rape arise out of a misunderstanding. So it may be a situation where you went out with someone and you guys were making out and there was foreplay and you ultimately had sex with the person. But later the person says, oh, I didn't really want to do it, but I, I was scared to speak up. I was scared to say no. I, it was against my will. But if that person didn't communicate that to you, and based on the circumstances, you honestly and reasonably believed that they were into it and that it was consensual, then that's really not a rape. There are many defenses to sexual assault. And notwithstanding the fact that these charges are very serious and it's very scary if you're charged, in most circumstances we come to learn that there are two sides of the story. And the issue of consent is often very murky. If we can show that our client reasonably believed that the other party was consenting, we can win a not guilty verdict because the state has to prove that the sex occurred without consent. Again, often that's murky. And when it's murky, it's hard for the state to win a conviction. 
had like a long way to go before you reached your peak. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I had no clientele. You okay, know, I had no clientele, and um, it, it took a while. It took maybe six months to build to build trust in the community and to build clientele. So, thousands of these credit cards, you're literally taking these little holograms. And you're physically like placing them on each of these credit each cards one, with your hands, like one. hand by hand. Yeah, each one, each credit card. Holy each, shit! Each card. How long does that take? How long does it take to do one card? Oh, I had it down. I could, I could print one card in less than five minutes. I could print I could everything. Print, print it. Could, stick everything onto it. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, I would already have all the. I would already have all the the templates lined up in Photoshop. Okay. Like ready to go. All my windows open. Bomb, 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 bomb. You know what I mean? And then I would load maybe like 10 or 15 cards in the printer. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, okay, print in sequence. Print one, print two, print three, print four, print five. So then it would it would run out all the cards. Print them front and back. You know okay. what I mean? It would put the, put all, and the, the only thing I really had to do myself was emboss and do the hologram. So I would have to physically place the hologram myself and use a heat press to adhere it to the plastic. Mm-hmm. And then I would have to, f- to to manually emboss the card myself. And this See. is before I got the auto embosser, where I could <clears> just <throat> throw them in and do a batch, and it would, you know, run a 50 or 100 at a time. Damn. Yeah. So when I got down, when I got really efficient at it, I could maybe do 100 cards in an hour. About an hour. I could print, hologram, and emboss about 100 so cards. So you're making close to 1,000 a cards in a day. Yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm cranking away, but then, you know, sometimes you have problems. Mm-hmm. The printer starts, gets too hot and starts fucking melting cards and printing mm-hmm. shit sideways, you know. So you've yeah. always got little issues. Right. Yeah, like that you got to deal with. But, yeah, I could do a thousand cards in a day. What's the most cards day? that you did in a day, you think? That I've manufactured in one day? Mm-hmm. I think I've done about 800, six, between six and 800 in wow. one day. You know, on a good day, if mm-hmm. everything was going right and I had mm-hmm. all my equipment operating mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. Okay, so how did you start getting this getting this out there on on online or on these black market on these um, uh, on the dark web and start getting customers to buy shitloads of them? Yeah. So so the initially the first uh, Carter forum that I was on, I went ahead and I just made my first post. Here I am, new vendor. Right. Um, here's my product. You know, you post pictures. It's like a whole, well, it was like a whole thing, not anymore. And then, you know, I would get maybe like one or two orders a month, mm-hmm. you know. And then once those orders came in and, like, people started leaving positive feedback, it just kind of snowballed after that. And then I remember the day, because I would only get maybe one or two orders, but I remember the day I woke up and I checked, I think I checked one of my emails and I had 15 or 20 20 orders waiting for me and I couldn't believe it. How much per, how much is $1000. One order is $1000. Yeah. For how many cards? Uh 100. 100 cards. Yeah, it's $20 a card, 100 cards, two drivers or you get I'd make IDs for you however many you wanted. And then I would do I think it was like 100 cards embossed, everything encoded, numbers and IDs and IDs. Yeah. Holy shit. But I wouldn't make a hundred IDs. Obviously I'd make like two or three. Okay. You know, or whatever that, whatever they wanted, but it mean, you know, so there, there was a cap on that. 
So the IDs have to obviously correspond with the credit cards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because say you go to a store and you make a purchase, um, and it's over like three or $400. Like a lot of stores, like people don't realize this, but a lot of stores, like say Best Buy, you go mm-hmm. to Best Buy, if you make a purchase over $300, they ask, physically ask for your card. Mm-hmm. And they physically take your card and they, they go on their POS machine. Now their POS machine, the point of sale service machine, won't let them process the sale unless the four digits on the front of the card match what's actually encoded to the card. Mm. So it's like, a, it's like a security step. So what they do is they take the card and they punch the numbers into the computer because you've already swiped it. So they're going to punch these numbers in. And if these numbers on the front of the card don't match what's being swiped, it's automatic fraud. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to have the corresponding plastic to match the, to match the numbers, and you have to have the ID because they're going to ask for, for ID because, A, I don't have the people's PIN number, so you're not processing it as debit. You always have to process it as credit, even though it's a debit card. Got it. So they have to have ID. When you process anything for credit, they always ask for ID, always, especially if it's a big purchase. Right. You know. Huh. Louis Vuitton, you go to Louis Vuitton and try and buy a $2,000 handbag on a credit card, they're going to ask you for ID. Right, right. 1,000%. Yeah, yeah. You know? Even if you even if you go in there looking the part, they're still mm-hmm. going to ask. They always ask for ID. Right. You know? So you have to have the ID to match the card. Everything mm-hmm. has the jive. The numbers, everything yeah. has the to, to be coherent. Okay, so is there a minimum number of cards they had to buy for one order? So is the minimum a hundred car minimum? 100? It was a thousand dollar minimum order. Okay, so it was a hundred cards and address the thirty five fifty three factors. Uh, I think having both sides know that I'm attuned to that and want advocacy on that is important. Other things that I review are often could be letters. It could be a thumb drive of a video or something that's on that point. And I think what I've told lots of lawyers is that, you know, I travel around the entire Western District of Missouri. Sometimes I'll do eight sentencing in one day in Jeff City and get in the car at five o'clock and drive to somewhere else um, to do more sentencing. To, to keep it on schedule, I need to know ahead of time what I'm dealing with. And I can watch a video that's been produced or you know, look at a PowerPoint beforehand, and I promise I do it, um, that I'm, it's not just a thumb drive sitting out there. And I can do that and stay on schedule. You mentioned the factors 3553. For those in our audience that aren't familiar with, with those factors, can you elaborate a little bit on what they mean? Yeah, so uh, 18 U.S.C. 3553 is a, a statute that governs sentencing. And so what every federal judge has to do is, one, properly calculate the sentencing guideline. And then, two, apply the 3553 factors. And so clearly the sentencing guidelines Um, are generic. They have nothing to do with the human that's in front of you. The 3553 factors say, now look at this person like a human, not like a grid on on the back page of the sentencing guidelines. And so the 3553 factors, honestly, there's something for everybody. If a judge wants to sentence somebody harshly, 
there's a factor for that. If a judge wants to seem, sentence someone leniently, there's something for that too. And so you look at the history and characteristics of the defendant. You look at what happened in this particular crime. What's a just punishment? How do you deter? How do you rehab? It's in, it's the, it's the antithesis. It's the opposite of the sentencing guidelines. Now I've got to look at you and your crime and your background and what do you need to end up being a successful citizen of our country. And although a defendant can't change the past, the bad decisions that he may have made that put him in the crosshairs of a prosecutor and in the Department of Justice, what steps have you seen defendants make that have made a favorable impression upon you when you're considering those factors? Yeah, takes me back to what a former U.S. attorney and who's now a district judge has told me. There's really only two kind of crimes. There's a crime that I'm mad at you, and there's a crime that I'm scared of you. And so I'm going to talk about, hopefully put it in the category, I'm mad at you. You've used drugs. You've run from a cop. You had a gun. As opposed to I'm scared of you, you produce child pornography. So I think when you look at that, if you're a federal judge and you're sentencing somebody, you want to know that somebody's genuinely remorseful for what they've done. And so I've had times where, you know, well, judge, I want you to pass along my apologies to somebody. I'm like, I'm not in the business of passing along apologies. You could have done that before. You've already pled guilty. You had 90 days. You could have reached out and had restorative justice all on your own. You don't need me to do it. You don't need me to order it. There are folks who know I'm in charge of my reentry program. And so we have a relapse prevention program there in the reentry program that spells out things that say, here's how I got into this trouble. Here's the things, the factors that lead me to use drugs or lead me to make these bad decisions. Here's the people. And I've had people fill out the relapse prevention plan because they have thought about how they got there, the things in their life that got them there, and the things they're going to do that they're going to do to improve themselves regardless of what my sentence is. And so coming in and being genuinely remorseful and not just saying I'm sorry to everybody in the courtroom, but knowing who the victims are and trying to heal that regardless of my sentence and just truly self-evaluate themselves and figure out how they got in this spot and start making conscious efforts to improve. When you spoke about remorse quite a bit there, and I know a lot of times defense attorneys will articulate the remorsefulness of the client. What type of weight do you put on a defense attorney's statement about the defendant's remorse? A lot of people are not aware that prostitution is actually illegal in Clark County, Nevada, here in Las Vegas.
and so we see a lot of bad consequences that come from engaging in acts of prostitution here, including uh, facing prosecution for solicitation of prostitution, but we also see worse consequences and we see a crime that's commonly referred to as trick rolling. Uh, a trick roll is really just a robbery and it's codified under NRS section 200.380. A trick roll could involve a situation where a person thinks they're picking up a prostitute. They think that they're bargaining uh, to exchange in some kind of sexual activity, but the person that they're bargaining with actually has another plan in mind. And that might be to lure them into a hotel room where they might plan to rob them, to strike them over the head, to physically assault them, and to take their property. We also see trick rolls in the form of grand theft person under NRS section 295.270. And a grand theft person is when you take something from someone without force or fear, it might be in a trick roll scenario that instead of smacking you over the head and knocking you unconscious before taking your Rolex watch, uh, a prostitute could slip a Mickey in your drink uh, and wait till you fall asleep. And then you wake up and you find that your wallet is missing, your cash, your chips, your watch are missing. In that case, without force or fear, it could be charged as a grand theft person. The difference between a robbery and a grand theft person is that a robbery subjects an individual to up to 15 years in the state prison, whereas for a grand theft person, the maximum penalty here in the state of Nevada is five years unless the amount taken was over $3,500, in which case the maximum penalty goes up to 10 years in the state prison. Nevada law permits people to keep loaded handguns in their vehicles. Handguns include smaller guns such as revolvers and pistols. Meanwhile, Nevada law does not permit people to drive with loaded rifles or shotguns. People may drive with long guns that have loaded magazines. However, a cartridge may not be in the firing chamber. People without CCWs, which are permits to carry concealed weapons, are not required to keep their guns loaded or unloaded visible in their vehicle unless they are physically carrying the gun. Therefore, carrying a gun concealed in a holster, pocket, or purse is legal only if the person has a CCW permit. Otherwise, it is legal for people with or without CCW permits in Nevada to keep their guns concealed in their glove compartment, trunk, center console, or elsewhere in the vehicle, whether it is visible or not.
If the person does not have a CCW permit, a person may still keep a gun concealed in luggage, a backpack, or other cases in the vehicle as long as he or she is not physically carrying it. If you are facing criminal charges in Nevada, call my legal team at 702-DEFENSE. The attorneys at the Las Vegas Defense Group will do everything to try to get your case resolved as quickly and favorably as possible. Two days. This is what a federal complaint looks like. And this is that case, that Irving Plaza shooting that happened last May with the rapper Troy Ave. And Troy Ave is free on half a million dollars bail. He was charged with gun possession. He's the one that you all saw in that video that NYPD put out and that we put out of running through the club with the gun out shooting or looking like he was shooting. Um, that's Troy Ave. So he was charged with weapons possession. He was also charged with attempted murder. Now come to find out, the feds on yesterday, on Monday, they, oh wait, today's Tuesday, yeah. Um, on Monday, they, I still don't have my whole schedule, uh, you know, back intact yet. But um, on Monday, a hip hop podcast personality named Tack Stone, his real name is Daryl Campbell. He was picked up at, at his aunt's home on Alabama Avenue in East New York. And, and this was on two gun charges. One gun charge, one of the charges was gun possession for a um, convicted felon, because if you're a convicted felon, you're not allowed to have a handgun. Um, the second second charge was interstate trafficking with the gun because the gun was uh, came from Florida, which was probably stolen at some point along the way. So he was in federal court today, 500 Pearl Street, and the prosecutor in, in this complaint talked about some things that I found very surprising. He said that the prosecutors are saying that Tack Stone, aka Daryl Campbell, that this 9mm semi-automatic uh, Caltech handgun that was used in the shooting that killed uh, Troy Ave's bodyguard, Ronald Bangham McFadda, that that handgun, and also wounded Troy Ave and two other people, that that handgun was actually in the possession of Daryl Campbell, a.k.a. Taxstone. So what does that mean? It means that, according to what the prosecutors say, they're saying Taxstone had the gun, that he shot Troy Ave, as he was shooting Troy, aiming at Troy Ave, Troy Ave's bodyguard, Ronald McFadder, tried to jump in and stop him. That's when he ended up getting shot in the chest and died from that wound. Then there were a couple other shots. One hit a, a woman that was there and another went through the floor and hit somebody in the floor below. And then there was a scuffle over the gun. Troy Ave takes the gun Daryl Campbell, a.k.a. Taxstone's gun, takes that gun, and then that's where we see the video that um, so many of us saw, you know, that NYPD released where he's running and he's he's holding out that gun and, the, and then he's running. So what the feds are saying is that eight months later, 
that this gun that ended up in Troyev's car, because Troyev left the club and then went to his his car, and the the gun was found in the car by police, according to what they're telling us, that this gun belonged to Taxstone. So the question you might ask yourself is, if this is the case, why wasn't Taxstone arrested for the murder of Banger? Why wasn't he hit with some kind of attempted murder charges, what they, which is what they usually do when there's a case of a shooting and um you know it, it's it's with a deadly of course a deadly weapon like a gun so those are those are some of the questions but here's what came out in court which i thought was interesting the prosecutor um assistant assistant district attorney for the uh, feds for the federal federal prosecutors he said that the reason for this long delay, eight months since the incident happened, was because so few people were talking. So that was incredible. That was one thing. Then the other thing that he said was that in the past two months, somebody started to talk. So it seems like they either picked somebody up um, who, you know, they either picked somebody up who... Um, you know, wanted to bargain with them or get a reduced charge or something like that, and that's what happened. And and then the, in terms of the ballistics, this was the interesting thing too. And I wanted to explain this because there were a lot of people having comments on um, asking asking me about this. How was the gun in the Irving Plaza shooting, which Troy Avenue allegedly had in his possession in his car? How does that end up being the gun of Taxstone, a.k.a. Daryl Campbell? So what happened is, according to the federal prosecutors, Taxstone shoots the, his gun at Troyev. Troyev's bodyguard, who ends up being killed, tries to wrestle the gun away. There is a scuffle. Troyev is shot, and then the gun, Troyev picks up the gun and then runs out of that green room and runs out of the club and takes that gun into his car. So that's the narrative that the federal... On this episode of The Lawyer You Know, we talk about how to go from being a lawyer to a judge. Most people know that for some time you have to be a lawyer before you can actually become a judge. And I bring my dad on to explain the process of how a lawyer becomes a judge. He served on judicial nominating commissions in the past. It's a group who does a lot of work in nominating lawyers and evaluating lawyers that potentially could become judges. We've done some podcasts and videos in the past that we'll link below on Supreme Court justice nominees, on the process of becoming a Supreme Court justice. And there are a ton of different judges and judicial positions that come available. So what I want to start out talking about, Dad, is what is the basic requirements for a lawyer to become a judge or even be considered for a judgeship? Well, there are different requirements for different levels of court. We've got four levels of court in Florida. We have the Supreme Court, we have District Courts of Appeal, we have Circuit Courts, we have County Courts. For the Supreme Court, the District Courts of Appeals, it's 10 years as a lawyer. For county courts and circuit courts, it's five years of a lawyer. Uh, of course, they have to be members of the Florida Bar. And they In have Florida. to live, right, and they have to live 
within the area that they're applying for a judgeship. So if it's a Pinellas County judge, they have to live in Pinellas County. If it's a Pinellas County position that's open, a right. judgeship that's open. Okay, so you have to be a lawyer for at least five years for the lower level state courts, and you have to be a lawyer for at least 10 years for the upper level ones. Correct. Okay, anything else, or is it just how long you've been a lawyer, basically? Just how long you've been a lawyer. To be eligible. Right. Now, there are, hey, there are exceptions. If you're in one of those small counties in North Florida where you only have 40,000 people in the county, then you can be just a lawyer and be nominated. So you don't if have to have any experience. Right. Basically. And in fact, years ago, you didn't even have to be a lawyer to be a judge because those counties were so small, sometimes they didn't have a lawyer that lived in the whole county. Okay. But now we're large enough and so we can have this requirement. Okay, so but now you have to be a lawyer. Have to be a lawyer. And in what is the cutoff? Forty thousand people in your county. Right. So if you have more than forty thousand people in your county, you still have to have that five or ten year requirement. Correct. Okay. Do you have to be a lower court judge, like a county court judge or circuit court judge, before you can become an appellate court judge or a supreme court judge? There is no requirement for any. There's no on the job training requirement or anything like that. For you to apply to be a judge. Okay, so we've gotten the basic requirements out, the years of experience in being a lawyer. Talk about the process and the different ways that lawyers can become judges because you don't just apply and become a judge, you have to go through different processes. Explain what those are like. There's two ways in Florida to become a judge. One is you're appointed by the governor or two, you're elected by the people. And what we're talking about right now are state court judges. These are strictly state court judges. Okay, so that's important. We're going to differentiate and talk about federal court later, but right now everything we're talking about is state court judges. So there's two ways, appointed by the governor or voted on by the actual county that you're elected in. Right. Okay. The Supreme Court uh, justices and appellate court justices are always, those are always appointed by the governor. It's the circuit court, which we call the trial courts, and the county court. Those are the ones that you can win by election. So the county court and circuit courts that you call the trial court, those are the ones that affect your lives. Those are the ones making the decisions in your cases for the majority of the time. They're the ones in criminal court and civil court that if you file a lawsuit or if you get arrested, your case is going to come before one of those judges that is usually elected by the local county that they're going to represent. So you have a voice, you have an opportunity to vote for local judges, and again, shameless plug, but also for extra explanation, we explain the entire voting process for judges and go through the local judges that get voted on in our county on this podcast that we're gonna link in the comments below. Comment if you have any specific questions about how the local elections are handled and what you should look for in judges, how you should vote, and if you should vote at all. So make sure you either comment below, go listen to our podcast, you can get more info on that because you actually have a chance to have a voice for the judges that are going to affect your lives. So there are also some situations where judges are appointed to those local positions, whether it's a county court judge or circuit court judge, why does that happen? And talk a little bit about how long these judges are in office. Right. Well, judges or are not are in like, office, I guess, but 
on the bench? Well, they're elected for six years, and they have to run again every six years. And However, is that across the board? It's across County, the board. circuit, appellate, Supreme Court? Correct. All six years. Okay. All six years. The difference is in the appellate court, the Supreme Court, and the district courts of appeal, those are what's called merit retention votes. So people only vote on right. those judges to say... Murder, homicide, the terms can be used interchangeably, right? First off, how is murder defined? Murder is the unlawful and malicious killing of another human being. Right? Let's take that into some plain speak. One of the ways that I'm going to talk about that is how the state of Nevada grades murder on degrees. There are two degrees of murder, first degree and second degree murder. So what about first degree? What is that? Let's talk about some examples. Okay? Example one purposely shooting another human being resulting in death, stabbing another human being resulting in death, poisoning another human being resulting in death. You get it, right? That's not that complicated. Another type of first degree murder is under a theory of what they call felony murder. What is that? It's basically an, an unintentional killing that occurs while a defendant is committing a felony. For example, John robs a bank. While he is in the process of fleeing, he is in his getaway car and Joe, the security guard, comes running after him. John, in his attempt to flee, accidentally runs over Joe. Even though John did not intend to kill Joe or even run over Joe, it happened during the course of the robbery. John is responsible. Felony murder, first degree murder. What about second degree murder? Unintentional homicide where the defendant behaved in such a reckless way that death was a foreseeable result, right? So let me give you an example. John is shooting targets in his backyard with his high-powered rifle, and when John shoots, the bullet travels into his neighbor's house, striking his neighbor dead. John says, I didn't mean to do it. Yeah, but John, you were so reckless. What were you doing shooting a high-powered rifle in your backyard? John is charged, of course, with second-degree murder. Now, how do you defend murder charge? Well, in the first-degree murder situation, I would say the best defense other than someone else did it is self-defense. Now, self-defense is one of the most sacred rights we have, and it is necessary to both nations and people. Now, that's right from one of our founders, James Monroe. Now, if someone is about to 
intentionally and immediately cause you substantially bodily harm or is causing you substantial bodily harm, you have every right to kill that person, to defend yourself using deadly force. Now, with regard to second degree murder, it's a little bit trickier, right? We're going to be attacking the elements of recklessness, talking about how the conduct is not reckless and that it should be something less like manslaughter. What about penalties? In a first degree murder situation, the penalties are the most severe. In Nevada, we have the death penalty. So you can be put to death for killing someone. Um, then you have three potential sentences of imprisonment, 20 to 50 years, 20 to life, or life imprisonment. It is also an anomaly in the law where the jury actually gets to choose the sentence for a defendant. The judge is taken out of the hands of the judge. What about second degree murder? Penalties are also severe. Life with the possibility of parole after 10 years or life with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Now, a murder is an extremely serious charge. Now, if you've been charged with murder or you hear that your name is being floated around as a potential suspect in the murder case, don't waste your precious moments. Contact us immediately. There is lots of work to do and there is no time to waste to properly defend your case and your freedom, I can assure you is worth it. See, mm. I go to a uh, buy and pay here. I go to, I went to all these different dealerships that got multiple cars, knowing that the more cars I have, the more cash I'll be able to have, as long as I can manage it. And they don't, so when you, when you get your credit ran, you go to the dealership, they run your credit. They see, you know, whatever you have on your credit right then. That's all they see. Even if you bought a car that day, yeah, yeah, when you see. go to another lot, yes. they only see, they don't see the car you just bought. No. And it doesn't upload for 30 days. No, no. So I leverage that. Shake your hand. You know brilliant. That is brilliant. Okay. <laughs> you are a genius. Man, You're a genius. It, it's opportunity happened like that. So I literally went from um, four, what was it, four cars? Four cars to three to 33. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Off of understanding the leverage of having good credit. For me, credit is credibility. I had good credibility, good payments on time, good um, consistent income, good debt to income ratio, stable household, meaning I'm not moving around all the time. Yeah. All the things that a lender is looking for to say, we trust this person with the money. And because he needs his money um, up front, we'll just tax him with this little interest rate, right? right? I wasn't worried about the interest rate because again, I'll use this money not what? as a liability, but as an asset. It's gonna bring, bring income from What's me. the highest interest rate you've paid? Ever? Ever. It was actually 18%. Ooh, I'll tell you why. This was on a, this was at a buy here period. This wasn't oh. a rental car. This was a donation for church. Yeah, gotcha. so 
um, the cars I was looking for, our church was doing construction. We just got a brand new temple in Loganville, amazing. Mm -hmm. And we needed a place. First off, uh, this, this podcast is sponsored by the World Mission Society <laughs> Church. No, but we they needed uh, they needed a vehicle to help with the construction. Mm -hmm. So it's either I buy a a cash car or buy a new car, a used car. I didn't want to drop cash on the um, up front for uh, a mm -hmm. truck that I wasn't going to use at all. This was going to be a donation, and I didn't want to buy new. Obviously, definitely not. So I bought used. So mm -hmm. I had to go to a buy here, pay here to do so mm -hmm. because this was after my my it was already on my car net. Right. All the cars are in here. Right, right. So now I got a D. I can't go to get traditional lent car loans. Now I have to go to a buy here pair. Right, right, and buy here pair, they don't care how good your credit score is. They literally even told me, "Yo, we've never seen such a good credit score in this building ever in our life." I was like, "Good." So you're gonna give me a good rate, right? I said no. No, that's not what we do. <laughs> that's how we make our money here. But why couldn't you just go to another place? Like where? I told you, I didn't want a new car. Oh, because this is after your 30-day period. Yes, exactly. Got you, got those you. Those are traditional lenders, so they're not going to gonna look at all these cars and say no. Yeah. My only hope was to buy here pair. They don't care how many cars you got. Got you. That's, how, got that's you. why it's higher risk, and that's why it's 18%. See, I put down, um, so I went to the lot. Crazy. And um, they, wanted to, they wanted to give 10%. To my wife, because I'm 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 in the midst of uh, building a building, and I just don't want anything on my credit right now. So I put it on hers, and they wanted to charge her ten percent because we was like, "Yo, we don't want to put no money down." Yeah. It was nine point nine nine percent, but yeah. then um, the they down. said, "Well, if you put money down, it, it goes down to five point nine nine. You know why? It's because I learned being in this business is if you put money down, they see that you have skin in the game. Mm. So if you default on the loan, the car note, right? Say the first thirty days. Got at least three. Yeah. Yeah, they'll at least have three payments in advance. Yeah. And they'll actually make money off of you defaulting on loan, versus you putting no money down. You have no skin in the game. Right. You left a lot with no money. Right. Higher risk. But you know what? And as I think about it, I should have probably just took the ten percent because it was really only a difference of like an extra hundred dollars a month. So yeah. so think about it. I think it was like $150 a month between 6% and 10%. That's a lot, though, when it comes to cash flow. It is, but so I take the car. I get to keep my 3000 cash, meaning oh, over – it takes 20 months yeah, yeah, yeah. for me to recoup yeah, yeah. that. That's you feel fact. me? That's and if I just had it on Turo, I'll make money. Especially, yeah, especially if you're using it for assets, you can use that $3,000 somewhere else. Right. And make the money with that. I didn't think about it till right now. Thank you. I'm going to keep shaking Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes okay. sense. <laughs> so. All right. So, so that's the stretch. First off, we just got the car. So I'm literally, at first I told her, like, honey, we're going to do maybe like two more cars. But I feel like. You go, you go crazy. What's your other plan? I'm not going to go, go, go crazy. crazy. Three. Don't, don't go crazy. Yeah, I'll get four or five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yo, uh, Sister Erica, please just text, just text her real quick yo, and say, it might have worked. we've made a decision all together, okay? Yeah. That's funny. All right, so, so, okay, so it's, this, this is really, really a dope strategy because if you are going to, 
invest in a real estate property, oh my you got to put down 20% of 100000 You got to put down twenty just grand. Just to cash flow 600 Just to make four or $500 a month. Not to knock it. All my boys in real estate, all my mentors in real estate, this is not knocking it at all, but... I guess I, on that side, the, the, actually the property. Yeah, salute to both them brothers. Yes, sir, man, definitely, definitely. But um, A. Marie, Sam, man, A. Marie says um, a Chicago-based R&B singer has been arrested in connection to a shooting at a Buckhead Hotel, and that's in obviously in Atlanta. Said so the shooting happened on December 1st at the Intercontinental Buckhead Hotel on Peachtree Road, according to Atlanta police. According to police report, officer responding to shots fired called at the hotel found a man suffering from a gunshot wound to the head. Officers noted in the report that a victim, a 24-year-old man, was somewhat responsive and responded to questions. He was transported to Grandy Memorial Hospital where he was last listed in critical condition. According to police report, a woman at the scene later identified as singer and songwriter Anna Marie allegedly told an officer that a gun fell off a table in a hotel room which caused the gun to go off hitting the victim. Huh? The arriving officer wrote in a police report that Anne Marie was screaming hysterically and she had to be removed from the hotel room where the shooting happened. Anne Marie continued asking officers if the victim was okay or dead. And she reportedly told another officer she and the victim grew up together and they were from Chicago visiting Atlanta. Atlanta police did not provide any additional details, but Emory was booked at the Fulton County Jail for possession of a firearm and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's the news right now, man. What well, that goes to that? T- that goes to show you. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm never going to believe no authorities or nothing like that, but. They, they, if that was the case, I should say, you know, when it did fall off, um, they have like experts and stuff like that who can kind of see the trajectory of the gun, how it was shot, you know, because if it fell off, obviously it would have to be at a certain angle, yeah. you know what I mean? Different things like that, as opposed to somebody going like that or going like that, they're going to know, they're going to know. So, you know, it's kind of hard for me to believe. But again, I don't want to be the you know bearer of bad news to nobody, or nothing like that. We still got to wait and see. She may have a um, a lawyer team or attorney team that may be able to put the truth on the record and show something different. I don't know, but <laughs> I go with intuition a lot, and you know, most of the time, and hopefully, and um, I don't know, I don't look good. <laughs> Gunshot wound to the head, like. <laughs> To the head and it oh shit. They gonna know. (laughs) If that gun fell off or didn't fall off and pop him in the head. And no disrespect we're not laughing at the family. Not like that. It's just crazy. Right, it's crazy. No disrespect or nothing like that. Um condolences to the family, but I mean, that, dang! I see. It, it was different. You said, "All right, he got shot in the stomach, yeah, leg, pelvis." You know what I mean? With the head, how the hell did that happen? His head from the ground. Hey, we ain't no forensic experts, but that's some <laughs> kind of crazy. But we will find out. I'm not blaming anybody. All this is alleged. Oh, no, there's a yeah, headshot, yeah. gunshot wound ain't alleged. But everything that we're talking about is obviously alleged. One could speculate, but we'll wait and see. Yeah. Hopefully, this woman is telling the truth. Hopefully, that brother survives to tell his truth. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, man, definitely, definitely. In closing, Sam, man, did you see the whole, um, did you see JoJo Capone with Choke, man? 
Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> hell yeah, I did. Anything. And that's why you gotta wait for the trial, you gotta wait to see Melly's defense, and we'll see what happens. Alright, if he crashed the car. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. a huge difference to saying I he rented the car and crashed it. I gave him permission to drive and he crashed it. It's covered. And what is the difference? The difference is you were, to them, you weren't using it for commercial use. You no, I'm saying, is there a, a game of it's covered or not covered? or Oh, not for not personal paying? insurance, but for Toro, you want to make sure you did all those pre-trip inspections. Gotcha. You don't want to have no, uh, you don't want to have no tire pressure lights on. Right. You don't want to have no engine lights on. None of that. Before you rent your car out, don't be going, oh, yeah, sorry for this trip. Don't do that. That's the time when something's going to happen and they ain't going to cover you. You want to make sure you cover it at all times. That's why I teach it. Because tread that reader, mandatory. 80-plus pictures inside and outside, mandatory. If they come in there and burn your, if you ain't got pictures of your inside of your seats, and I sit in there and go like this, and with a cigarette, and burn it all in your seat, and you don't got pictures of before, those cigarette buds was in there. Even if I tell them that it was covered, they like, we can't see that in the pictures. They'll show you. I can show you emails. They they can't see it. It's not clear in the preacher photo, so I can't cover it. Sorry. I know it's not the answer you were suspecting, but we hope that we are, you're able to salvage it with your personal insurance. Let me know if you need me help with that. That's what they're going to tell you. I've seen it. So to make sure y'all don't have to see it, that's why I teach this course so y'all don't got to worry about it. I don't ever get not covered now. Every single time. They'll they'll fix they'll give pay you off for the claim the same day or the next day. They'll send it straight to your PayPal. Wow. I done had a wrap damaged. I'd had my wrap damaged on my I eight on the hood, and they gave me three thousand for that. I got that thing rewrapped for seventy. You feel me? So you want to make sure you win in all situations. And wow. I always win in all situations when it's a, a when it's a high end car. This is the oh, I'm about to give you all the game. Let's go. When it's a high Let's go, man. when it's a high end car. And it gets into an accident and it's not totaled, that's where we win at. That pays the bills for the year. When I'm talking about Lambo, I8, uh, awesome. Range Rover. What are we talking about right now? All right, now? so they got what's, it's not in every state. So, but in particularly where we live, Georgia. it's here. Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, depreciation of value claim. It doesn't matter if it's my fault. It don't matter if it's the other driver's fault. They got to they gotta cover it. So how does depreciation of value work? Appreciation of value is basically when somebody gets an accident on a car that's nice. Uh, let's say let's say a Lambo gets an accident. If that's on a Carfax, it makes the value go down. They gotta sell it for lower. That amount, amount that you have to sell it for lower has to be paid by the insurance company. Yeah, that's depreciation of value and, and it's lump sum. They give it to you right then. So right after your car is repaired from an accident, from like is they have hit and run, somebody tore my front bumper off. That accident is reported to Carfax, right? Mm -hmm. Value down tremendously. Lambo, front end accident. Now, if I give a, do a depreciation of value claim, take it to State Farm and say, look, this is a depreciation of value claim, la, 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 this is how much it'll be worth after trying to sell it. I need that compensation for the in-between money. They're going to send you 25, 30,000 right then. I've done it 80 times now. You feel what I'm saying? <laughs> 80 times. When I tell you, from my first IA accident, I got 17000 My second IA accident, I got 25000 You know what I'm saying? Fender bender, baby fender bender, don't matter. If it's going to go to the Carfax, 
I got a dude, my boy, RJ Sweeney. I'm going to plug you, boy. RG, Rec Check Atlanta. You get what I'm saying? He do my, uh, he, char- he charged 300. He'll do a packet that's 30 pages long. Send it right to the uh, insurance company. They're going to negotiate with you if it's like State Farm, but everybody else just going to pretty much settle with so, you. At a, so let's, let, let's, let, let's, let's say that the car is 150000 It gets in an accident. And now that same $150,000 car is now worth one twenty-five. So you're getting a thirty ball off the top, and if they don't give you thirty, you can sit there and negotiate with them, and then go to court with them. But you might get more than thirty. And, and the crazy part is, you're not. It doesn't affect you anyway because they, you're renting. It, it's, well, yeah, it doesn't affect you. So this is the the killer play. So it gets repaired, and I'm trapping it out again, making money from it. Right. Then get a little bonus check for it getting hit. We don't lose in these situations. Bro. I'm telling you, we don't lose. A lot of people be worried about the insurance. I'll be like, bro, that's the funnest part. Once you learn how great insurance is, you know what I'm saying? Again, I'm not telling y'all to lie to your insurance companies. Do not lie. A depreciation of value claim is legal. It is illegal for an insurance company to raise your premium because you did a depreciation of value claim. These Ooh. are facts. So... These, I don't want you to lie to your insurance company, but protect yourself, guys. Don't don't act, act, give them stuff that they didn't ask. Mm, Answer the questions now. Right. I'm telling the truth, but mind your words, guys. Gotcha. So, but we don't lose the situation. Normally, if it's a total situation, if you do what I tell you to do about the 80 plus pictures, make sure you got a tread depth reader. Make sure there's no engine lights on. They're gonna cover you. Tour's gonna cover you hands down. Uh, they've changed their little uh, packages as far as insurance. So how, however much you want to give to them, you might got to give them a little more if you want all the perks, like a rental and all that. I don't need rentals. I got 100 cars. We good. So I don't worry about all of that. I'm, I'm taking max risk because I don't give a damn. I'll fit it. Give me the most. So and- you're not on. Now, some huge news has finally come out with the YNW Melly case. And this could actually really help YNW Melly in the long run and could potentially even be let free soon due to this. YNW Melly is still out here battling his court case for his freedom. And honestly, things were looking very concerning for Melly, but now with this new information coming out, it seems as if YNW Melly and his lawyers are now making moves for an early release. Make sure you guys watch until the end, as we have so much to cover. Now, allegedly, YNW Melly has been making some huge moves in his case for an early release. I am pretty sure everybody watching this video has most likely heard that there was this small video clip found of YNW Melly a few years ago basically admitting to doing this act towards his two best friends, YNW Juvie and YNW Sack Chaser. Now in this little video clip found of YNW Melly, he does say this and I quote, There's no regret for the stuff I did for that man to pass. 
and then according to the description of the video, YNW Melly then put a pen to his head as if it was some sort of you-know-what item. You could probably imagine what I'm talking about. Now, you would think that that would be it for YNW Melly. You would think with the courtroom having this alleged video that that would be it for YNW Melly and that he's basically done and over with. Well, YNW Melly, yeah, he practically just snitched on himself in this court case. But surprisingly, that video clip evidence may not be usable against him in court. And this will be absolutely huge if this happens. Now allegedly YNW Melly and his lawyer is trying to make the video of him basically snitching on himself unusable in court as it can be taken out of context and the video could have been used for entertainment purposes to promote his song M On My Mind one of his biggest, if not his biggest, song ever released. Now, if this does end up working, and they are able to make this little piece of evidence unusable, I do strongly believe YNW Melly will be free soon. And one of the things they're backing this up with is when that little video clip was found, that is actually when that song was released, apparently. Now, this is alleged, and I just want to make sure that's clear, but apparently that's when that song came out when this video clip was recorded. And that video clip could have been used as little entertainment purposes for that song to be promoted on his social medias. Now, the guy that YNW Melly was also locked up with at the time, otherwise known as YNW Borland, has actually already been released. YNW Melly and Bortland were locked up at the same time for this court case. And Bortland is currently out right now. He's actually trying to make a music career for himself at this very moment. And I do believe that the law is holding YNW Melly in lockup due to this one video clip that they found of YNW Melly admitting to doing this. But some even more great news for YNW Melly is that the law enforcement apparently doesn't even exactly have strong evidence on Melly. They don't have the firearm that was used, which means that there is no fingerprints, and there's also no fingerprints of YNW Melly's anywhere near YNW Juvie and YNW Sack Chaser. The only fingerprints of YNW Melly that was found is actually on his own seat in the car of where they were sitting on the day it all happened. And there's actually no witnesses or street cameras that captured or witnessed the incident all going down. So the only thing that the law enforcement has 
currently are these photos that I'm about to share on screen. And this is basically shows the car that they were all driving when this all went down. And I'm going to break it all down for you right now. Make sure you continue watching. So, to go over the evidence, the first few pieces of evidence that will actually make sense is if you know a little bit of the backstory. So, YNW Melly ended up going out for a drive with YNW Juvie, YNW Portland, and YNW Sack Chaser. The entire team of YNW, it was nothing too out of the ordinary of them all driving together, so that is a pretty good thing. So in this first photo that you can see, it actually shows where everybody was What distinguishes incest from sexual assault is that for sexual assault, the state would have to prove that the sex was non-consensual. But for incest, even consensual sex is considered a crime in the state of Nevada if it's an incestuous relationship. Ostensibly, the state chooses to regulate it as a morality issue and to prevent inbreeding and increased risk of birth defects. A $200 smart car. Of oh, a $200 smart car. You just turn your credit to cash. You making 1800 bucks a month <clears throat> off a smart car. Mm. But since we're hearing you, my man, that's, that's, that's turning credit to cash. Sure. But what people don't know and they say, listen, this is my, my goal is this, is that we in the 21st century. We don't live in the the early 80s and the, the, the early 90s, late 80s, we have such an issue with assets and liabilities. Mm -hmm. I thought it said on your shirt. Okay, so, right, <laughs> is that with assets and liabilities, we're stuck and the only, only realistic liability we have in today's society is our mindset. The way that we can think, the way that we can judge, and the way that we can execute. So, when people look at a vehicle, now I just turn that vehicle, which most people say is a liability, into an asset. So you mean to tell me, they go, oh, you should leasing because cars are depreciating, um, they're depreciating liabilities. Right. But in today's society, we got apps like Turo. Right, right. In today's society, we got things like hire car. In today's society, we got Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta that that movie sets that literally rent cars and pull them on trucks and don't even put miles on them. To where Ooh. now, if you have an exotic vehicle or a nice vehicle, you can make it an actual asset because it generates capital more than it depreciates. So if you know the depreciation calculation of what it's going to depreciate and it makes more than that, this is an asset. Now it's a cash-driven asset. We have to get our mind out the way and start learning how to use technology. We let people sit there and tell us, yeah, we should lease vehicles and do this. Listen, if the vehicle pays for itself and then in the in the time by the time it depreciates to its bottom dollar if it's already paid for itself i now have a car free and clear that if i do get ready to sell it mm. i still can have it has a solid resale value wow you've never seen a rolls royce for under 150,000 i don't care what year you get wow. ferraris under 150,000 i don't care what year you get 
well, Ferraris are, but Lamborghinis is certain cars that's always going to have a certain amount of value. Well, if you get one at the right year, it's easy to generate the capital off of it. It's just the mindset. See, people will trick us into saying, oh, stay out of position of, of mediocrity and, you know, only invest in, 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 in assets. And you go look and say, well, what's assets? What's the assets? Why is the only thing that considered uh, liabilities things that we like? How can we make... Explain that, explain that, explain that. The things that we like, right? You look at it. People say liabilities, clothes, right? I'm, I jump on a private jet, whole family and Fendi. Go, oh, you know, that's a lot of money to spend on, on clothes, on these designer clothes. I say, well, these clothes last two years, though. Mm-hmm. When you wash the clothes that you went and bought from Walmart because you saved a, a couple bucks on your outfit, one, it don't look as good, and it right. don't feel as good. For sure. And it, it, it's just reality. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't last as long either. Yeah. It's the reason why Kanye West threw a tantrum and said they won't allow us into their factories because the materials that they use are better than the materials that come on the on the cheaper materials. It's a difference, right? Mm. It's a difference. Got but, it, got it, got it. But then they go, but it's expensive and it is, it's not worth the money. So I teach people, I say, listen, I turn credit to cash. So I run a business and I run ads. I run fifty to $60,000 a month in ads. Mm. I get four points per dollars whenever I run ads. Well, because I'm growing my business, guess so what? You, you get four points per dollar. Yes. What do you mean? On my American Express Gold, they give you four points per dollar when you run ads. So. Also, oh, you run the ads using your American Express card. Boom. Gotcha. Then all of my other business expenses, um, fulfillments, and things like that. So if I'm spending, you know, as my business grows, I'm spending over $100,000 a month. Well, if my business is growing, I'm spending $100,000 a month, and I'm getting four points per dollar, guess what? What do you do with your reward points? Most people don't know. I teach people when they start off how not to pay for groceries and your expenses. Keep your expenses low as, as you grow your business. Mm-hmm. But you get to a point to where you start going and you look up and you got three million points, and you go, what do I do? Most people don't know that you can literally convert your reward points to gift cards for like Saks and Neiman's and go shopping to where I didn't pay for the clothes and the things that they see us in because I still Mm. like designer clothes, but I got it for free. I like that. I like that. I like that. I can live the life that I want and I don't have to be subjected to being irresponsible. I can drive a Rolls Royce and not be, oh man, you buying a depreciating asset, no, it's gonna make me more money than it cost me. Right, I, I gotta ask you though.
Hey, welcome back. Well, I think we're ready to uh, answer some of your questions. Uh, Rachel, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, uh, Nancy, do we have any questions? Oh, yes, Rusty, we do have some oh, questions. Good. And in fact, I'm going to ask you the first question. I'm ready, I, I think. Okay. Under the uh, Sentencing Reform Act, how much good time can an inmate receive towards service of a sentence? Uh, good time. Uh, good time is available only for sentences of over one year, and it's not available for sentences of a year of, of life, uh, which means that if an individual gets a life sentence, uh, since we have no parole in our system, it's a true life sentence. Now, in terms of not being available for a sentence of a year or less, if an individual were to receive uh, a sentence of less than a year or a year, uh, that individual would not be eligible for any good time. And so it's advantageous to the defendant to receive a sentence of, say, a year and a day instead of a one-year sentence. Now, the amount of good time that's available is up to 15 percent. Uh, which translates roughly into 54 days for every year of good time that is served. So you serve one year of good time, 54 days comes off the back end. So I wouldn't be happy if I received 11 months as uh, far as the sentence was you concerned? You probably wouldn't be happy if you received anything, Nancy. That's but true. Certainly 